Welcome on in to the Jazz Talk Podcast. I'm your host, CJ Dieters. Today's episode, we'll be looking at some of the chemistry issues that might be going on with the Jazz. We'll be talking about the infamous passing stats that have come out with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And then we'll talk about the players-only meeting that the Jazz had and the possible effect that it had on the team. So... The Jazz had that really rough road trip. Uh, they won, They beat the Knicks, and then they lost, I think it was five in a row. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember now. Maybe it, was it six in a row? Yeah, because they lost against the Warriors also. Anyway. Really just some rough games. And, you know, they were up by 20-plus against both the Clippers and the Warriors and ended up losing those games. So Jazz had a little bit of time off after that happened um, before their next game. Um, on Monday, it was reported that the Jazz had a players-only meeting. Um, so all players got together, got whatever was going on with them off their chest, you know, let everything out into the air because the team's been struggling. They're heading into the playoffs here. They've got to get things figured out. So um, everything we've heard from that was just that people were able to get whatever it was off their chest and start getting things figured out. And last night, the Jazz played against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are the number two team in the West right now. Now, they were without John Morant and Dylan Brooks, but without uh, John Morant, they are 20-2 and two before last night's game. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a horrible shooting night uh, last night. I think he was like 6 for 21 or something like that from the field, like 1 for 9 from 3-pointer. Um, now he was able to grab like 9 boards and dish the ball out. He was able to help in other ways. But the Jazz were still able to figure out a way to win without Donovan Mitchell going off. And so it was a really good sign. Also, you know, the the Grizzlies had some, you know, late game heroics and were able to tie the game up. They went into overtime and the Jazz were able to take control and be the better team in in overtime, which was a really good sign for this team because you know, for the first 3 quarters of games they've been dominant and then they let it all up in the fourth quarter. A bunch of times this season that's happened. And so to see them late in the game play their best that they have throughout the entire game was actually really cool to see. Uh, Rudy was absolutely dominant. Um, and he knocked down some really key free throws late in the game. Um, Jordan Clarkson had a really good game off the bench. And then Daniel House probably had one of the biggest impacts on this game. His defense, his, his energy um, in overtime, uh, Donovan hit uh, House for an all-oop, and that was, I mean, the crowd went crazy. It was probably one of the loudest things we've heard in Vivint in a long time. Uh, so hopefully, you know, they've got three games left. Um, they play the Thunder the Trailblazers, and I can't remember who the third team is that's left. 
But if they are able to win these next three games, it'll be a 50-win season, which I know last year they won over 50 games in a shortened season, um, played 10 less games, and we're still able to get 50. But the fact that they, you know, if they can actually get on a four-game win streak heading into the playoffs, it'll actually be a really good thing for this team, give them some momentum going forward. Because even though the Suns look amazing right now, other than that, the West is really wide open. And if you can get on a hot streak, you know, you can get yourself into those conference finals. And then from there, you know, who knows how the Suns are looking. Maybe maybe they're injured. You know, maybe, you know, somebody's in a slump. Or maybe they got beaten in an earlier round. I'm not. I don't think that's likely, but it's definitely possible. Um, however, right now the Jazz would be at the fifth seed. So, if they end up in the five seed, they'll play against the Mavericks most likely in the four or five. If they win that, then they would end up playing the winner of the one eight, which would most likely be the Suns. So they beat them in the second round, but still. If you can get momentum going at the right time, you peak at the right time. I mean, it's, you know, that's what makes the, the playoffs so exciting is, you know, another team could be dominant for most of the season, but it really just matters what happens in the playoffs. It's just like when the Warriors won uh, 73 games and set an all-time record, but by the time they got to the finals, you know, Kevin Durant went down with injury, Clay Thompson went or no, that's a different one. Uh, this is before they had a Kevin Durant, uh, and LeBron was just probably the best he's ever been in that series, and they were able to win. Nobody would have thought, you know, at the end of the regular season that the 73-win uh, Warriors were going to lose in the playoffs and not win a championship. So what I'm saying is, as long as the Jazz are playing at their best, there's a chance. Now, do I think it's super likely? Not really. With all the struggles that they've had this year, with you know the struggles with the chemistry, with figuring out what their rotation's going to be. Like, for the last two games, Rudy Gay was out of the rotation completely. And Juan Hernan Gomez was getting those minutes. And then last night, you know, Rudy Gay gets those minutes, and we don't see Juan Hernan Gomez play at all. Um... So they're still trying to figure things out um, in game, what was game last night? Game 78 of the season. So, I mean, as a Jazz fan, as an optimist, as a, you know, I, I do believe in a lot of these players. I would love to see them get on, go on a run and do something special. Do I think it's likely? Not really. But again, I think they stand a very good chance of at least winning their first round series, which just getting through the first round would be a little bit of a disappointment for the team after, you know, getting to the second round so many times and getting close to getting to the conference finals, not quite making it doing it again would be a little bit of a disappointment, but it would be a lot better than, you know, struggling the way they have, and get beat, you know, in five games in the first round. Um, so next topic is, so there's been this stat going around that 
Donovan Mitchell only passes the ball to Rudy Gobert 2.3 times a game. And it's been very hotly contested. Um, there's people that are, you know, Donovan's a ball hog. He needs to give the ball up more. There's been, you know, other people on the other side where Ru- they're saying Rudy doesn't do anything with the ball when he has it. I kind of line up in the middle, although I do think that there could be more passes to Rudy. So D- David Locke went through this this big, long thing of stats about how Donovan is one of the top you know, 25 guys in the league at passing the ball to the paint, passing the ball to the big. And, you know, he plays with Mike Conley, so Mike Conley has the ball in his hands a lot of times, so he's not, you know, Donovan can't be passing it to the big guy. I understand that. But David Locke watches every single one of these games. He, There's no way he can tell me that there's not at least five opportunities a game where Rudy is wide open at the basket. Not a little open. I mean, there is nobody around him. And you can't tell me that they didn't see it. The guy is seven foot two and he has his arms wide out in the air, saying like, hey, throw me the ball and for whatever reason they don't throw it to him. So while I do think that you know there it's not an anomaly how many times Donovan Mitchell throws the ball to Rudy or to Hassan down in the post. I do think, though, that the way the Jazz offense works is either they have to stay home on three-pointers, three-point shooters, or they have to stop Rudy at the rim. And a lot of times, teams know that the ball is not going into Rudy, and so they stay home on the three-point shooters, and then there's no room because they don't throw Rudy the ball. Um, do I think it's a huge issue? Not really. Like people have been, you know, really digging in on this, but I do think that the jazz do need to be looking for Rudy more often because if you can force an extra player to come over to try and stop Rudy at the rim, that that's what opens up those three pointers. That's what starts the blender, you know, as the jazz call it, where, you know, they, they, start getting guys open, they start, you know, just zipping like six, seven passes around the the perimeter, and someone ends up wide open. That's how that that gets created. But if the other team knows that they're not going to throw the ball down into Rudy or down into Hassan at the basket, then why would they send an extra guy to try and stop it? Um, So that's where I'm at on that. I just... I really think that that Rudy should score a lot more points than he does, and I don't think he gets the amount of opportunities that he should get because guys just, for whatever reason, they don't throw him the ball. They decide that throwing it to a contested guy at the three-pointer is a better pass than a wide-open guy right next to the rim. Um, one little quick stat on Rudy, though. Um, as long as things continue the way that they are right now, he will be the, you know, there's only three games left, so he doesn't have that big of a chance of ruining this stat, but he will be the first person in NBA history to average over 15 points and over 70% from the field in a season. 
Um, you know, and that includes guys like Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Hakeem Olajuwon, Moses Malone, Shaquille O'Neal. None of those guys ever did that. Now, do they? Did those guys all score more than Rudy does? Yeah, sure. You know, but 15 points for a center is not, you know, it's not a slouch number. Especially if, you know, like I said before, if the guys actually threw him the ball when he's wide open, he'd probably be closer to like 18 points a game. But anyway. Um, so, and the last thing I want to talk about is there's a lot of belief that if things don't go well for the Jazz um, here in the playoffs, that there's going to be huge changes in Utah, which I kind of agree with. Um, however, I do not think it should be, you know, we're going to decide between Rudy and Donovan now. I think what they should do is put a completely different supporting cast around those two guys. And then if it doesn't work at that point, then yeah, you know, you look and you go, okay, who do we think, or who should we trade? You know, if we're just going apples to apples, it'd probably be Rudy just because he's four years older. You know, he's going to be 30 next season. Uh, well, by the end of next season. Um, however, if Donovan's looking like he's going to demand a trade, then, you know, it would be Donovan that you'd want to move. But what I really think that they need to do this offseason, if things just really don't work out, they lose in the first round, you know, there's talk of Quinn Snyder leaving. That actually may happen, and I'd be really sad to see it because Quinn is such a great coach. But as far as, like, personnel of the team, they need to get longer, more athletic, and better defensively. So I'm looking at, you know, putting, you know, Mike Conley and either, like, Jordan Clarkson or Rudy Gay or uh, Royce O'Neal in a trade and, you know, a first-round pick and go and see if you can get a guy like... Um, Pascal Siakam from the Raptors, or Chris Middleton from the Bucks, or you know Jeremy Grant from the Pistons. Um, that's what I'd be looking for as like that third guy with Rudy and Donovan, and then of course I would keep Bogdanovich around. But he, let's say you did a trade of, let's say it's Jeremy Grant. So he did Conley, Gay a first for Jeremy Grant. So now you replace a guy that's 6-1 in the starting lineup with a guy that's 6-9 and is known as a as a fantastic perimeter defender, uh, great defender in general. So now your starting lineup goes from, you know, 7-1, 6-8, 6-4, 6-1, to 7-1, 6-9, 6-8, Six four six one. That is already just an insane improvement there. I would look to bring Daniel House back. Um, I would look to make Nikhil Alexander Walker a bigger part of the team. Um, who he's you know he's a long athletic defender. Um, I would try to. I would get an agreement in place first with Juan Hernan Gomez. I would turn down his team option 
and I would look for like a three-year, you know, $8 million deal or something like that to keep him around. I would try to bring Eric Pascal back, um, just big athlete. Um, as far as a backup center for Rudy, I guess Hassan would work. You know, Yudoka's Buki, if he could stay healthy, wouldn't be a bad option either, but he's just having so much trouble with his ankles. I'd really, what I'd be looking for is intelligence um, as the backup. You know, that's why Derek Favors worked so great last year. Now, the defensive numbers weren't amazing with Derek Favors, but the offense numbers were insane when Derek Favors was in there with that backup group. So I'd be looking at, you know, a guy like Serge Ibaka um, for backup center. And then, you know, after tra- sending away Mike Conley, what you're really going to need to find is a really good veteran point guard that can come in. You know, Donovan will be the starting point guard. Um, but I'm looking at guys like Goran Dragic. Um, I think Patty Mills will be a free agent. Patty Mills. Um, Corey Joseph. Yeah, I'm looking for you know, a guy that can come in and can handle things. You know, Trent Forrest is good and all, but I really think that they need that veteran guy in there to run things. And then you just got to keep developing these young guys that you got. Yudoka Azabuki, Jared Butler, um, Trent Forrest, as I said. Um, but I think that's probably the big biggest thing that I would look for, you know, if I was trying to rebuild this Jazz team. Not rebuild, retool, is it would be built around sending out Mike Conley to get a big athletic wing player. Now, I really like Mike Conley. I really do. I if it was a different team and say, you know, if if well, let's just say this. If Mike Conley or if uh, Donovan Mitchell was like six six then Mike Conley would be a perfect fit. But having two guys at 6'1 out there, um, it really hurts you on the defensive end. Uh, Passing lanes become a lot bigger. Um, You know, and and Mike Conley is pretty slight too, so guys just kind of bump him and move him out. He's a fighter, but they kind of can move him pretty easily. But I don't want to get too far into off-season stuff right now. Um, we'll do that more when we're actually in the off-season. Um, but just to kind of summarize, you know, this episode again, Jazz had a players-only meeting. After that, people seemed happier. Um, you know, videos I saw of practice looked like just all smiles. Everybody's connecting a little better. Um, and in the game, they looked like they were ready to fight. Um, so I'm hoping. Sorry about that. Hoping that this is a good sign for the Jazz, that they are ready to go, and that, you know, we're going to see the team that they're supposed to be this season in the playoffs. Uh, but with that, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day, and go Jazz!